So tonight as we come to chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 9 through 18, finishing with that famous verse about loving your neighbor as yourself. But in looking for a title, I really think that is a good title, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But we might also say these are some standout applications from the moral law. And since we're told in Jeremiah that God would, in the new covenant, he'd write his law on our hearts, not on stone tablets, we know that there's application for us through the power of the Holy Spirit to seek to live this way and obey God's word and his commandments from the position of grace and salvation as opposed to the position of self-righteousness, hoping to justify ourselves. And we know we understand that distinction. So in verse 9... As topics are going forward, we pick it up and it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So as we look at verse 19, excuse me, verse 18, that famous verse quoted in the New Testament on a couple different occasions, we read that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But in fact, it says, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. So it's wrapping up this cluster of verses and these applications that we were reading. And as we have done with Leviticus, I want to do again tonight is connect it to the New Testament. For it is this very verse, verse 18, where when a man who is self-righteous came to Jesus seeking to justify himself, he said, you know, how can I do that? I, I do the laws. Not the rich young ruler. It's a different man. And he said, uh, how, who is my neighbor? That was the question that this man said. So he was quoting this verse. And we know in the parable of the Good Samaritan, therefore, it's in the Gospel of Luke, that there was a man who went on his way, and he was accosted by robbers. He was beaten, stripped partially naked, and his garments were taken from him. Those are the details that Jesus gives in his parable. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Then comes along the priest, and the priest goes wide around the victim and ignores the victim and goes his way. Then comes a Levite, which we would understand in the context of the New Testament is a little bit lower than the priest, but still in the service to God, technically professional service. And he too goes around the beaten traveler, the beaten and partially naked traveler. Then the third person that comes along is a Samaritan. And we know that Samaritans were descendants of Jews mixed with other people groups that were brought in by the Assyrians to settle in the land to diversify the people and pluralize the people in a loss and a lack of national identity. So you see there's nothing new under the sun. This is what has been going on in the human experience for a long time. So the Assyrians knew that and they did that. 
And so that's why there's so much blood bud between the Jews and the Samaritans is that the Jews felt Samaritans weren't truly Jewish. And they even had a hybrid faith. The woman at the well said, we worship here on this mountain, you worship in Jerusalem, which is correct. And Jesus said, the day is coming where you'll neither worship here or there, but you'll worship God in spirit and truth. But he said, salvation is of the Jews. So Jesus himself rebuked the belief systems of the Samaritans, which were hybrid false belief systems of the Old Testament mixed with pagan beliefs. We know that from the fullness of the Bible. But in that parable, quoting this verse, verse 18, when Jesus concluded his parable, he said to the man, which is, who is the good Samaritan? And he said, well, I suppose the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So as Jesus interprets this verse for us in a macro level in the New Testament, the lesson of Jesus quoting this verse is that we show mercy toward humanity. And of course, in the context of the Good Samaritan, it's someone who's in a very helpless, vulnerable spot, someone that can't take care of themselves. So with that New Testament enlightenment from Jesus himself on this verse, we come back now tonight with the macro idea that mercy is a key thought behind the human experience, that God is merciful and what does the Bible say? Bless are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the heart of God is mercy. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's, uh, it's being pardoned for your iniquities, if you will, because Jesus paid the price. That's mercy. Grace is receiving the gift of something you didn't earn. But mercy is not getting something you deserve. It's not... It's not getting the punishment you deserve. In fact, last night in our home group, we were having a discussion, the men over by the poolside, and we were talking about some of our youth experiences and uh, running into trouble with the law. I guess it was that kind of night at our uh, home group. You know, you leave the guys alone, they start talking about things they did in the 70s that uh, you, you just could never do in 2020. But we talked about how merciful when we, were, we got into trouble, the police were with us. Like they called my mom in my case or they let someone off the hook in this case. And there were lessons of life to become a better citizen and they showed us mercy. There is a lack of mercy in our culture right now that is frightening. And it's really important that the church not lose perspective and we individually not lose perspective that the heart of God is mercy. That people don't get what they deserve but we show them mercy and those who have been trained by mercy come to repentance and faith, we're told in the book of Hebrews. So as we look at this list of things that we read that reflect godliness, respect and dignity in interactions with other people, character of heart and integrity of the individuals, I want to point out four different verses and applications that bring us to loving our neighbors ourselves. Because if we, show, if we realize that we need mercy, we're going to show other people mercy. And we're going to be the Good Samaritan, not just for someone in trouble, but just our disposition for how we're navigating life right now for such a challenging time as this, but would be for any time. So as we look at this list that we just read, verses 9 through 18, and we think about mercy and loving your neighbors yourself and standout applications from the moral law expanded here, the first one I would draw your attention to is our resources, where it says in verses 9 and 10, but particularly verse 10, you shall not glean all of your vineyard. In other words, when you have a vineyard, you don't pick all your grapes. And it's the same uh, with, you know, the rest of your field, whatever you have, your olive grove, whatever. 
You don't pick everything. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord. Now, the poor are mentioned in Leviticus. And, of course, Jesus talks about the poor quite a bit. The law particularly talks a lot about strangers. And on Tuesday night, I went into major application on the verse later on this chapter where it says, And if the stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And we talked about how important it is to value all humanity, to value, to look upon human beings and get past our, our predispositions towards certain people or whatever, and to esteem them and value them. And here, in showing mercy and in loving your neighbors yourself, this first thing we're looking at is that you will not keep all your resources to yourself, but you will leave some of your resources availed to the stranger and to the poor. This is the heart of God. In fact, the Bible and the Proverbs talks about that if you honor the poor, you honor the Lord. So when we think about the application of this tonight, obviously most of us are very blessed. We have a roof over our head. We're doing quite well. Even when you're homeless in Orange County, you're, it's a pretty good place to be homeless compared to other places in the world. I would for sure. I drove by PCH the other day by uh, 605 Coffee there by 6th Street and PCH. And uh, there at the bus stop, there are a couple homeless guys hanging out. They had the same beach umbrella that I got, that rainbow one, yellow, the red and orange and blue one that you get at the campgrounds, whatever. And they had it, and they're sitting, and they're eating lunch, and they're chit-chatting. There's a third buddy st- talking with them. And I was like, now, see, now, if you're homeless, that's a, that's a pretty good gig right there. It's uh, 75 degrees out with a sea breeze, and you're well-fed. And the poor you always have with you. And we're surrounded by all, the homeless situation in Southern California is incredible. If we go to visit my sister in downtown San Diego and we park off the 163 by 10th Avenue there, I mean, you, her high rise, see, she used to be homeless in San Diego and she dreamed of if her life ever got back together again that she would live in this high rise apartment complex and that's where she lives now. Three years rebuilding her life, she's like on the 11th floor and then she goes by the homeless and she has, of course, great empathy upon the homeless. She went literally from homeless on 10th Avenue to the 11th floor on 10th Avenue, but three years of being sober, paying her debt to society. She's still got to finish the last little teeny, teeny bit of DUI school to be able to drive unlimited anywhere she wants to. She's got a little bit more to do there. She's working on it. But the homeless you have, and the homeless problem isn't going away. The poor problem's not going to go away. In fact, Jesus said the poor you always have with you. We always have the poor with us. So whether it's on an individual level or a church level, we want to have that disposition where we realize there's people much less fortunate than us and we have empathy toward them. You understand? We want to always have empathy toward people. We don't want a hardened heart. We want a tender heart and we want to have empathy toward other people. Now, individually, I mentioned this Tuesday night, like before all these people asking for money for homeless people, rehabs that you have all over on Orange County, it's difficult now because most people don't carry cash, right? There's a lot less, people are carrying a lot less cash these days, and I'm sure those things are down. We have received information from all over the world that most missionary groups that we associate with and work with, that right now they're just trying to feed people. For example, far-reaching ministries with Wes Bentley, who we've done so much with in Africa, in Russia, and these places, he is, since COVID began, almost all their resources are going directly to feeding people that are 
impoverished around the world. They've gone from trying to get the gospel out to just trying to feed people who have received the gospel. So we are in a desperate time, and we understand that. And even here at Worship Generation, last month we released thousands of dollars to Bangladesh to a ministry that we felt good about. And essentially, Bangladesh is pretty hostile toward the gospel, if you don't know. But it's a a long-time established ministry in preaching the gospel, reaching people. But the desperate need is food. And just being able to feed people like Jesus feeding the 5,000 would open doors for ministry. So those are things that we've done as a church, even during COVID-19. Because remember, it, we call it the, the, you know, sowing during COVID, pandemic sowing. And the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So as a church, that's our heart and leadership. And even what we've been doing since COVID, a lot of our resources, like we've sent quite a bit of money to Russia. And in a lot of cases, it's just really trying to compensate for people not having their incomes and just being able to put food on the table for their leadership, for their congregation. And so we've been a big part of this because we have plenty of, res- we have plenty of resources. Most of us still have our jobs. We may have had pay cuts, but we're, we're blessed. And so we're still sowing bountifully. And so we can sow as a church on behalf of all of us that are giving bountifully, but it's important that each one of us understands our opportunities for the world around us, how we can sow bountifully and, and make a difference. So I just want to encourage us as we pause here for a moment on this first act of mercy is that the empathy toward the poor, toward the stranger is something we never want to lose. And it, and it doesn't matter like how did you end up homeless or how did you end up in this situation? When you see someone walking down the street with tattered clothes and no shoes on and they're walking really slow through the crosswalk and the lights turn green for you and it's still, it should be red for them, just exhale And just realize that's a human being created in the image of God. Just realize they have a story behind them that's an incredible story. And we don't know what decisions they made that put them there. We don't know what evil was perpetrated against them by other people that put them there. We don't know what injustices they endured, maybe at their jobs or in their communities, because of their ethnicity, because of their gender, or anything, we don't know. So I just want to remind us at WG and Body of Christ, listen to me right now. Keep your empathy toward all people, even those who violently hate God. We, we cannot lose the empathy for the poor and the stranger because if you or I lose our empathy for the poor or the stranger, that brings on a slippery slope where we sit as judge and jury of humanity. And it takes us down a road we don't want to go to. Because let God be true and every man a liar. And that's not our call. Does that make sense? So it's just a good exhortation to not lose that heart. And like I said many times, what my sister's been through being homeless for years, it really softened my heart toward the stranger and the poor. It, it really has and I can honestly say, by and large, my first thoughts are not negative thoughts. But now it's just like, man, what happened? And is there, I'm going to say a quick prayer for you. Is there something I can do to help this person? It's just amazing what a cup of cold water or like, here, you want this snack? Like, it's just amazing, like, the simplest things that we can do that reveal the heart of God. So we don't have fields where we have grapes and vineyards. But we have resources where we have, that we can share with other people. And if our heart is for other people, we'll experience the blessing of extending that grace and mercy to other people. 
Now, the second thing, so it's the empathy and the disposition for others. And it might just be giving them food or five bucks, whatever. I mean, or whatever. Let the Lord just guide you. The second thing we see is in verse 13, where we're showing mercy and learning things. Verse 13 says, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The ways of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So here is about honesty and transparency Transparency in your dealings with other people. Honesty and transparency with other people. You shall not cheat. You shall not rob your neighbor. And we know our neighbor is anybody and everybody. Our interactions with other people. What's due for other people? If it's something that we should be restoring, we need to restore it. If it's wages and we have the money to pay it, we should be paying it. The idea is that people trust us. If we name the name of Christ, people trust us. And if for some reason we come in a hard economic time where we can't quite match things the way we should or want to, we need to desperately and profoundly prioritize making things straight of how we can make restitution or make things right as quickly as we can. Years ago, I had a really hard time with the situation with someone whose pattern as a a very visible spiritual leader was burning bridges over finances. And it was really hard for me. And like it says in one of these latter parts, you shall uh, rebuke your neighbor. I did. And And they took great offense to it. And I, I just, I told him, like, you know, if you, if you, if you burn bridges, like, you gotta, you're renting a place, and you're saying you're a Christian doing all this ministry, and the person that owns that place is not a Christian, and they have to evict you, and they have to wait three months to get you out, what could be a worse witness than that? And he doesn't want to hear excuses about how you didn't get paid for something else you did. You agreed to live there and pay this fee. And you have to figure out how to make that happen. God's not going to honor you going from place to place doing this. And I just remember how upset they were with me. And I'm like, why are you upset with me? The person should be upset is the person you owe the money. Because you're, you're stealing from them. And it's wrong. And so that's a really good example of my mind. And when you think about in life, and you younger people will realize this as you get older, you're spending money to fix your cars and spending money to go to the dentist. It's your money, not your parents or whatever. You want people you can trust. When you call a plumber, you want to know that you can trust that plumber. And if the plumber says it's 120 bucks to fix this, you're stoked. If he says it's 1200, you're like, you you're like really, you know, like you really you 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 want to know if it's going to cost you 3500 dollars to fix plumbing, which can happen. It can cost you 30,000 to fix plumbing actually if it's cast iron in an old house. You got to rip everything up. I mean, it can, it can be really bad. But if, if a plumber's giving you bad news, you want to know that they believe the good news. And you want to know when they tell you it's going to cost thousands of dollars to fix this plumbing issue, that that person, that woman, that man is a woman or a man of integrity and faith in Jesus Christ. And they're totally transparent and it's correct and it's just. The laborers wear their wages and it's the right fee to correct this plumbing. It's not your fault you bought a house in the 60s and the cast iron's bad. It's not their fault. They have the skills to fix it, and it's going to cost $3,500 to fix it. So they might be the bearer of bad news when you're hoping it's maybe $350 because the, the base of your foundation of your house is leaking. But it is 
what it is. And when you have that news, and if you're giving that news, you want to be a woman or a man of integrity, and people trust that decision. The same with mechanics. Recently, our van was vandalized. The church van is not here anymore because we had to cash it out. Someone ripped out the Cadillac converter, which is really common, I guess. A $200 piece of equipment does $1,500 damage to the vehicle with parts we can't even replace now because it's 2004. But when I went to start the van and I realized something really bad had happened, I'm like, who, who steals from a church parking lot? Well, lots of people do, but not you, ever. Please don't. And I took it to Daryl Naki, who has attended WG in the past, and he's a man of integrity. He has a great reputation with autos. And I had to drive 30 miles an hour up Gothard and just go really slow and wave everyone past me. And I pulled up, sounding like a loud motorcycle going by here during service. And I'm like, whatever it is, I trust Daryl Naki. This is the guy I trust. And what is it? And I'm like, hey, if it's under 500, we'll fix it. He's like, Joey, it's going to be at least 12 to 1400. He's calling his guys parts. We don't have them. See that white van over there across the street? Same thing happened to them. That's what he said, you know, from his place off Gothard uh, and uh, Ohio. And then he, and then the guy, the tow truck guy, comes to to get the van from Los Angeles. We cashed it out. He comes to pick it up. He says, dude, they did the same thing to my tow truck last year. In a world of selfish, stealing, looting, robbing people, we can't be one. And what's really important is we need to be something above and beyond even average. We need to be men and women whose words are credible. So when we give a quote on a price, that's a quote on the price. When we say this is what needs to be done, that's what needs to be done. And we don't take advantage of people, particularly the elderly, by the way, because God will definitely hammer you. We don't take advantage of people. We don't, if someone comes in your retail store and they, they obviously don't have a lot of money and they're just trying to buy a $20 pair of tennis shoes, don't try and talk them up in a $120 pair of Nikes. Because I worked retail and my boss told me one time, no, I'm like, they don't want, they don't need a $300 wetsuit for their kid that's 10 years old, first time he's learning to surf. Well, he might try it once and doesn't want to do it. They need a $120 full suit. And he goes, no, what they really do want a $350 wetsuit. You just have to convince them that's what they want. And I go, what planet are you living on? That's, you have kids. I bought wetsuits for Timmy. I don't want, I don't want to go into surf and sport and have someone try and tell me I need a $350 wetsuit to buy my 10-year-old. I want to go into Jack's or whatever, hunting service board, and say, hey, we're just figuring this out. What do you got? Oh, yeah, we got this wetsuit. This entry-level full suit. It's $110. Yeah, that's the one we need. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's integrity. It's honesty. It's transparency. You don't look at what you can take from somebody. You look at how you can bless somebody. That's what the law and the heart of God is here. How can you bless somebody? A good mechanic, I don't need a deal. I just want to know it's the truth. The dentist, when he says, <laughs> good news or bad news, I just want to know it's the truthful news, right? And so do you. So love your neighbors yourself in what you want the mechanic to be to you and the dentist to be to you and the plumber to be to you. We need to be to others. That's how we treat them. We're not trying to plunder people. We're trying to bless people. And ultimately, our provision comes from the Lord. And God will always honor faithfulness and integrity in how we carry ourselves and conduct ourselves in our interactions with humanity in business and these sorts of things. 
You shall not cheat your neighbor because you don't like to be cheated. We will love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So we're going to show mercy and we're even a, we're just going to bring Jesus in the equation. We're going to stand before the Lord. And I do not want to stand before the Lord having taken advantage of people. Nor do you. The third thing we see, it says, as we read on in verse 15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of might, of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge. Okay, that's nice. That's good. So, no injustice in judgment. Sometimes you have to make a decision. Sometimes at work, something comes up, you have to make a decision. Who mishandled this? We talked about the scapegoat. Who's the scapegoat? The fall guy, the fall girl, whatever. Sometimes uh, in disputes that happen. There's, why do you have arbitrators? Because there are disputes between the, the Melarus people that managed all the properties on the lake and the person who built his house, an extra story on the lake against the, the guidelines. And, you know, they go to arbitration. That's what happens. Sometimes we have to be arbitrators in family disputes, business disputes, neighborhood disputes. We just don't know. But whatever we are called into where we have to make a judgment with employees, community people, we want to make sure that we make the right judgment and that it's not based upon we feel sorry for someone because they're poor or we respect someone because they're mighty. I mean, because the book of James talks about that, right? When people come to church and say, oh, you're poor, you got nothing, sit back here. You're rich, you got everything, sit up front. It's the same principle. It is special with the Lord that there's no extra preference given to someone who's wealthy and mighty and powerful, and there's no extra preference given to someone who's poor, which is kind of cool. It just shows the accountability of justice, regardless of social standing. What's right is right. What's true is true. And the right thing to do is the right thing to do. So there's no favoritism for a rich or a poor man, and there's no... uh, prejudices against a rich or a poor man. We can't punish someone because they're rich and we don't want to punish someone because they're poor and rule against them. In, in integrity and in righteousness, which is God's heart because it's righteous, we want to make the right decisions based upon it being the right thing according to the heart of God. Now, all of us have different spheres of influence. We all have different things that we deal with in life and what our world involves. So the application might be different for each one of us. But just know this, you shall do no injustice in judgment. As you get older, there's more judgments that you have to make. There's calls you got to make against a poor or, or a mighty person. So think about this. That's like prejudice, right? What is partiality? It's a form of prejudice. If you're partial toward the rich, you're prejudiced against the poor. If you're partial toward the poor, you're prejudiced against the rich. That's just a form of prejudice. We don't want to be that person. It goes back to the very first thing we're saying, that the stranger, the poor, we we honor and respect all people. Now, we have dispositions of prejudice. I, I believe all people do. And we have to work through them. We might have them for different reasons. We can have all kinds of prejudices against the poor or the rich, against men or women, against white or black, against government or anti-government, we can have all sorts of things based upon our human experience. So it's really important that whatever comes in our wheelhouse where we have to make the call, that we make a good, just, prudent call based upon God's heart 
what's right, not based upon a prejudice that we might have. And for sure, in the position of hiring and firing people, if you're the person that hires and fires people, that you do not do things from a place of prejudice and partiality. That we've got to make the right decisions based upon the right situation, and you can't be afraid. And, you know, discrimination goes both ways. There can be straight-up discrimination and reverse discrimination. So just be really careful, no matter what society is doing, that you judge with righteousness, you discern with righteousness, and we make decisions based upon God's heart, regardless of free, slave, poor, rich, male, female, Jew, Scythian, as it says in Galatians. That's the heart of God. And the journey of life, if you can get to 80 or 90 and have God purge out almost all, if not all, of your prejudices and predispositions that are contrary to his heart, good for you. Good for us. That's an objective to be attained. Now, finally, the fourth thing and final thing is found in verse 18. You shall take no vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Well, yeah. That's pretty obvious, but that's a good one. You shall take no vengeance or bear a grudge. Now, vengeance is getting back at somebody, right? Like, vengeance is when you, when you got wrongly fired or the neighbor's done something to you that's really bad and you want to get back at them. Vengeance is getting back at somebody. It's vigilantism, if you will. Vengeance is like, well you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to make this straight. Now, remember what God says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And as Pastor Chuck Smith is going to say, God's a much better uh, defender of you than you. So it's better let him fight your battles and defend you than you defend yourself and fight your battles. But, you know, there are things that are injustices that happen that would make us very vengeful toward people. If righteousness doesn't reign and evil things happen and you've incurred an injustice, you would be vengeful. If you were wrongly charged with a crime and sentenced and went to jail for a crime that you didn't do, it'd be hard not to sit in a jail day after day stewing about how you're going to get even with people. Now, what a lot of criminals do is they are put away and they come out and they get back at the people who put them in jail, which is horrible, right? And that's why some people should be incarcerated the rest of their life because they get out and they kill people. We've already seen this with COVID-19. We've seen Hardened criminals, felons, released from jail in the name of COVID and go kill their accusers. We've seen that in multiple places under multiple circumstances. But that's just criminals getting back at people who call them out for being criminals. Vengeance, more often than not, is where you were wrongly accused at work and now you've lost your job or you did the right job and someone else got the credit for it. That hurts. Someone else got the award. Someone else got the raise. And it could have been worse. You're the fall guy on somehow when you made someone look good. Those are the things that make us very vengeance. Or also, perhaps, if things were said that were not completely true and you're painted in a bad light and it's not the whole truth. And you might try and defend it and set it straight, but a lie travels much quicker than the truth in the immediate thoughts of people. That's why if you just give misinformation, false news, fake news, all that stuff, it'll travel really fast. And by the time the truth comes out, it's on page 13 and no one cares. So it's hard not to be vindictive or vengeful when those things happen, when you've been wronged. 
But the book of 1 Peter is pretty much dedicated to staying righteous with God when people do wrong against you and when you suffer for doing good and not taking matters into your own hands. Because if you took matters into your own hands, where does it end? And it's a scary place to think that you know the exact purpose, vengeance, and justice against someone to perpetrate against them for things of wrong they did to you. Like, that's a pretty difficult place. That's a dangerous place to put ourselves in where we're judge and jury of someone, and we think that, okay, they did this, so we should do that. I think it's common to be tempted with thoughts of vengeance and vindictiveness. I think that's a pretty natural thing, like in the human experience, especially when you're innocent. But we have to take those thoughts captive in obedience to the Lord. We have to because God says to, but also know this, the person that's filled with vindictiveness and a vendetta never has peace. They'll never have peace. They'll stop living. If you have to get even for the divorce or these things, you will never have peace. You will stop living. It will prevent you from being healed by the Lord from that hurt. And it will prevent you from being fruitful in a whole new season from the Lord where he can make beauty from ashes. So it's so important that we forgive, we let it go, and we go forward. Because the ultimate prisoner on planet Earth is the person who's enslaved themselves to bitterness and unforgiveness against someone else. Of all the prisons I've ever seen, that's the one that's the most sound to destroy someone. It's self-imposed. And Jesus says, if we don't forgive others, we're not forgiven. So it's super important that we have that forgiveness in our heart toward other people. So... You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge. So not only do you not get vengeance, you got to even let go of the grudge when you see him. Like you just can't like, you can't have that look. You can't have that disposition. You got to just pray blessings over them. You got to pray for them every day. You got to just give them to the Lord, give them to the Lord, give them to the Lord, give them to the Lord. That's what you got to do. That's what you have to do. There is no alternative. It's give it to the Lord, forgive them, seek forgiveness, let it go, or die. It's die spiritually, die internally, and you'll end up hating your neighbor. And Jesus warned us that it, it, that'll destroy you. And he says, we got to go make peace with our neighbor on the way to the court and reconcile before we, before we go to the judge, and he throws us in prison. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, do not hate your brother but make it straight. So Jesus expounded even this idea here about not being vindictive and not holding a grudge. So if we look at these four things, we see we, we shall have empathy. We need empathy. We need to be aware of people that are in a much less uh, circum- favorable circumstance than us. So we'll leave gleanings from our abundance for the poor and the stranger, and we'll be people of empathy and we'll have a disposition for others. We will not cheat nor rob our neighbor. We will be people of honesty, transparency, and integrity. We will see people as an opportunity to bless them, not consumers that we can plunder and uh, take from them and ravage them, but people that we can bless and people that trust us because of our reputation of honesty and integrity for doing things right and making things right and keeping our word. We're not going to do no injustice because there's two you shall nots. 
And, you know, so actually there's three here. And you shall not do injustice in judgment. So we're going to be righteous people. We're going to have integrity. We're going to always, we're going to seek to always do what's right. We're going to seek the character and the heart of God in decisions we have to make in our dealings with human beings and whatever positions of authority and power that we have, we're going to do that. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to be impartial and we're going to try and seek to be without prejudice, whatever we might be dispositioned toward. And then finally, we are not going to be vengeful and we're not going to hold a grudge. We're going to forgive people. We're going to let things go. If you flip the negative on all those, if you flip those to the negative, what life is that? What life is it where you look down on people and you lack compassion and you're cruel? Like, what life would that be? That's horrible. What life will you have when you reach 80, when you've taken advantage of everybody your whole life? You've marked up their price. You double them up. You, 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 they came, they trusted you with your car, and you, ca- you charge them double for everything. You charge them for parts you didn't even change because they're elderly and you took advantage of them. How's that look for all eternity? Who wants to live like that? Or to be prejudiced and have all these predispositions where you you hate certain people and favor other people. How's that going to look? Or finally, that last one where you're filled with bitterness. Who wants to be that person filled with unforgiveness in invalid care when you're 90? That's a horrible ending. As you're going to the promised land, God said through Moses, I've given you two choices. You can choose life and blessings or you can choose death and curses. But know this, you're going to choose, and you're going to live with those choices. So this is a good reminder for us tonight in Leviticus 19. This is the heart of God. And aren't you glad there's a heart of God toward you and me? Like when we go before the judge, when we go to the mechanic, we go to the dentist, or we see the poor, aren't you glad this is heart toward us? This is his heart toward us. This is heart toward humanity. And this is who we need to be now more than ever.